This message is brought to you by danmullerarchive.com, the number one place to search over 2,500 Dan Muller messages and growing. Now, please enjoy this message. <laughs> so anyway, he gave me a title. What did he call it? A Life of Power and Love. I think that's what he called the. He said, I did that on purpose because it's a broad title and you could probably cover about anything that's in your heart. And I said, oh, okay, because when he said a life of power and love, I'm thinking our power and love conference vision of you and I living every day in Christ where love is evident through our lives in some direction towards someone. And it's pretty awesome. Like, honestly, this room, I mean, it's not a ton, a ton of people, but bless you and thanks for being here. It's a, it's a lot of people. I'm, I'm saying uh, we're a fraction of society, right? Little, because you get in traffic. I, I just was in a four-lane well, it was eight lanes, four this way and four that way. From that power and love we just did, I was trying to get home and I was like, Lord, people, there's so many people. Like, it's overwhelming when you really think how many people there are. Like, I'm in four lanes and there's four lanes there. If you come from L.A. or somewhere, you've seen this plenty of times. Eight lanes across. And it's bumper to bumper as far as you can see. Bumper to bumper, both directions. And I mean, it is, and that's just a fraction of, right? And, uh, but here's what I'm trying to say. In this small room, with the handful of folks we got, we all have a sphere of influence. We all brush against people. We're around people. We have coworkers. We have family members. Like, we all have people that we live around or that live around us at some level. It's called a sphere of influence. You've all been granted a sphere of influence. I believe it's a gift. Don't dread your sphere of influence and wish the people or faces would change. Always pray that you grow up into him. Amen? Like, like I, think, I think we're notorious for praying for some of our family members to change when we can just grow up in Christ and see them through him more. As a pastor, people would come to me and say, my spouse just left me. You need to pray that they come back. And I'm like, why don't we just pray that Christ be formed in you? And then at some point when he sees who he is in you, so evident and big, he'll have something to draw them back to where he's not just bringing them back to you. I really don't want my wife to just be married to me. That would be a bummer anyway. I'd rather her be married to Christ in me. That's a way better picture. Because we did the other thing. <laughs> it wasn't cool for 13 years. <laughs> she was just married to me. What a bummer. <laughs> It'd been better if she was married to you. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. You take that sphere of influence. And you multiply it by the number of faces in this room. That's astronomical. You, you, you just think about that. The sphere of influence that everybody has, the people you'll pass by in your lifetime, times the people that are in other people's lives coming and going and passing by. That's a serious territory. And it's not that you can touch everybody and talk to every single person. My buddy Todd tries to. But, <laughs> but it's not that you can, but, but if you're thinking that way, you'll touch more. If you're doing like Ethan did when he was 16 and said, I'm going to Walmart to pray for people. That's pretty precious. What if you just wake up in the morning and you get this concept established in your heart that you're not trying to survive you're not just trying to get through and get by, that your life's a gift, not a challenge and a dread. 
Come on, God just wants to change our view on some things. You know, we say life's a grind, life's a blank, life's a bleep. There's a lot of phrases out there that aren't cool. You don't have to fill the blanks. Don't get too creative with me. But you've heard them. The only reason life feels that way to people is because they're living it outside of why they're here. So there's no grace in their life. So it's a dry road. Why would God put fuel in the tank to drive down roads you're not even called to ever travel? Why would he empower you to live where you're not called to live? That's why life feels like a grind. Because you're trying to survive instead of shine. When you're driven into survival mode, phew, okay, this is a little breakout session. Can I just break out and be like really, really, really like, really, are you, are you sure you're okay? No, like, like this is going to get a little intense right here. Are you, are you sure you're really that excited? Self-centeredness is really, 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 really not cool. And it's in our lives way more than we would admit. God is not here to make your life work. He's here to make your life like him. And there might be circumstances a dime a dozen trying to press and work against that. And if you have any self-centeredness in your life, you're going to back off of becoming and you're going to back off because... Pressure, I can't take anymore. Why does everything always go bad for me? Why do I have to go through another? Oh, not this again. That's all language that's found in self centeredness. It's super common for just people to go through a struggle and get disheartened. That's a sign of self centeredness. It's really, really, self centeredness is really, really not cool. It has nothing to do with the kingdom. It all has to do with the fall of man. Let's come out of agreement with it and stop subconsciously believing it's normal. It's perversion. For a man to think for himself is perversion or Jesus wouldn't make the prerequisite for following him denying yourself. What he's saying is the biggest problem in your life is you thinking for you. When you're designed to think for the kingdom and shine. When you think for yourself, it hinders your productivity. When you're discouraged, you can't shine. When you're overwhelmed, you can't shine. When you've got three situations on your mind, you're distracted. There's no way you're shining. And then your sphere of influence continues to go untouched, even though you pray to him and sing to him. I told you I was going to break out. I, I mean, are you guys okay? I'm not mad at nobody. I just want this thing to be seen for what it is. Like self-centeredness is wretched, really, really wretched bad stuff. And I think it goes undetected and realized and it's not called what it is. There is so much in Christendom that's just about God blessing me, my breakthrough, my provision, getting my benefit today. God doing something for me. And there's a lot of people that are reading faith books and plastering their fridge full of faith scriptures and all their intent has to do with their day going better. And they weigh their spirituality by how all that's working. Has nothing to do with faith. 
Faith isn't a tool just to get prayers answered. Faith is a perspective you live by. It's called the faith. It has nothing to do with believing you're not going to get laid off or be in a car wreck. It has nothing to do with it. It's the faith. It's understanding who you are now that he came. And we've spent so much time listening to teaching that benefits us instead of teaches us to live apart from self-centeredness and live for his great name. Endure hardship as a good soldier. Not entangle ourselves in the affairs of life because we've been enlisted by him. These are scriptures, book of Timothy. Enduring hardship as a good soldier. Not going, ah! Help, what did I do wrong? What door did I open? Why is God letting me? How come the door? Because as soon as you enter that language, you identify yourself as not being established in truth. And if it is spiritual warfare, now it's a dime a dozen because you're a giveaway. And the enemy himself says, you're not even established in understanding. You're not even sure why Jesus is inside of you. Wow, I see him in you, but you don't understand. Bam. That's why men are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. It's not the will of God. It's the lack of knowledge. That means if you get the knowledge, you can stop destruction. My people are destroyed for the lack of... has nothing to do with the will of God. It has to do with not understanding. So in all you're getting, get... Ain't that something? I got it. Don't get mad at me. Well, if you were here last night, you won't. <laughs> it just comes to me. I got to say, when it's here, I know it's, it's the way it is with me. It's my relationship with him. If I don't say when it's here, if I don't say it, I know I won't say what he would say if he was in my shoes. And I believe that's him. I'm not over-spiritualizing. It's my conviction. I just, while I was talking, I heard it say again, self-centeredness is really, really, really a bad thing. It's the only reason people are hurt. It's the only reason people are offended. God's not offended. He so loved you. He sent his son when you were getting nothing right. When Jesus raised from the dead, he said, go tell my brother. And he didn't say, go tell my low life, two-faced, say one thing and do another. <laughs> Jesus is not a hurting minister that needs a sabbatical. The only reason there's so many of us ministers hurting and needing sabbaticals, we're putting our trust in people, we're trying to build things, we're pursuing our dreams and our visions, and we're let down. If you're discouraged, you're thinking for yourself. You can't be discouraged and think for the kingdom. You're not internalizing it and taking it personal. If you're taking it personal, it's more about you. If I'm discipling somebody and they turn and go some other way, why am I hurt? Why did they break my trust? And I spent all that time with them. No, you invested seed. Why don't you lay claim to that seed? Why don't you proclaim some truth in prayer and stay encouraged? And why are you crying for you? Were you discipling them for you or for them? So if they turned and went the other way, why aren't you weeping for them? Why do you feel broken trusted? Are you guys with me? The only reason you can feel that way is because of this self-centered thing that's been normal to all of us from the time we can remember. See, from the time you and I had conscious awareness, we were conscious of ourselves and self-centered in every motive. 
It's the perversion of love. God made man in his image. The perversion is self-centeredness. There's no love in selfishness. There's no selfishness in love. Bible teaches us that. Love doesn't seek his own. So you can't say, I love you. Do you love me? Because all you're saying is, I need you for my sake. I love you for how you make me feel. I love you for the stability you bring me. I love you for what you do for me, not I love you. So what you're saying is, in my feeling of love for you, I can be really hurt and broken by you, so don't do me wrong. Come on, it's just good to talk straight about this stuff. Because in our relationships, we've experienced more hell than blessing in a lot of cases. And we've lived emotional, crazy stuff. Trying to be appreciated and be loved and be accepted. Needs-driven. Rarely do people understand what they're really saying when they say, I love you. And it's three words that are used nonstop. There's been more hurt, more manipulation and misuse through those words than there's been blessing. And why do those words sell so easy? Because people want to believe they're lovable. Because they don't have a healthy esteem because they value their life based on their life. Instead of value their life based on their purpose and their created destiny. And all of a sudden you need someone to appreciate you to be appreciated instead of see who you really are in him. Are you with me? Self-centeredness is a very bad thing. Can I show you a scripture to back it up? See, I didn't even know we were going here. You guys came to this breakout session. If you get up and go to another room, I'll I'll understand. But (laughs) I want you to stay. (laughs) And I'm glad you're here. But you're here and I'm bearing my heart. I I didn't fly here to correct one person. I flew here. They said they were going to give me a mic. I flew here. I believed you'd be here. I flew here. I flew here to tell you who you are. I flew here because I actually believe what I'm preaching. I didn't fly here for an honorarium. I, I, I tell everywhere I go, I say, man, if you don't even want to, I don't, I'm not here for that. If you don't even want to take an offering, that suits me. Let's just rock it and preach the gospel. Like everywhere I go, I buy my own plane tickets. I've never turned a reimbursement into anyone. No one pays my way but Jesus. No church has paid my way to minister in 10 years. I'm not here for an honorarium. I'm here because I honor him. And I believe what I'm preaching. So if I really believe what I'm preaching, I'm going to see your value in this truth. So you're worth the flight. And the person sitting beside me on the plane is worth it. And the people I pass by within my sphere of influence are worth it. And all of a sudden, life is fun, not challenging. And all of a sudden, in every challenge, you're privileged to shine. In every broken trust, you're privileged to respond like him. In everything somebody says that they didn't do, you're privileged to respond like he does. And every time they're faced with a multitude of sin, you can let mercy triumph. But if I have self involved, I'm going to take it personal. It's going to hurt me in time. It's going to wear down my heart. Next thing you know, I'm tired, angry, frustrated, and I've lost the why I even do what I do. 
And then you become like a pastor I heard say once, pastoring would be great if it wasn't for the people. That's a sad commentary. We come on, we grew up with it, but people, they just get on my nerves. I just don't like their personality. There's something about them that rubs me wrong. I would challenge that in your life if you feel that way towards people because that's not what Jesus is experiencing when he looks at them. I would challenge that. Jesus didn't teach you those things. Life in Adam taught you those things. Life in self-centeredness taught you those things. Well, this is what I think. Well, you want my opinion? Well, I'll tell you what I believe. You be real careful with all that. Nobody really needs your opinion. They need him. Because a lot of times our opinion is rooted in rightness and how we'd feel if we were in your shoes. And there's a lot of people trying to help people, but they're just as hurt as the person they're trying to help because they, if they were in their shoes, they'd feel the same way. So that means they can help them. Are you with me? Yeah. Living a life of power and love. See, it'll all fit. It'll just fit. Because if this isn't our foundation, if we don't learn what it means to deny ourselves, how are we going to stay consistent and how's love really going to be love? Wonder if you're just pastor and you're finding esteem through pastoring. Wonder if you're debriefing all the time and you're self-conscious and you're looking. Wonder if you post your stuff on the internet and now you're reading all the comments. You better not read the comments if you don't know who you are. Do you know people post themselves and then read the comments and, and get worse? Because people are blatant and sometimes people are off the cuff and sometimes people just read into things and sometimes people just... Blatantly, today's social media is just an opinion platform. Be careful with all that stuff. Who cares thumbs up, thumbs down? Come on, who cares? And if you're reading that stuff, you might be insecure. You might be taking to heart what people are saying. They might be coming from wrong places too. Just be careful with that stuff. Broke down to the, I'm down here. I'm getting closer. <laughs> I'm making my way, Ethan. I didn't even ask if I was allowed. They got that camera going. I thought I'd better at least stay here. <laughs> hey, man. Camera's like, yeah, brother. <laughs> Maybe it'd be better if you'd back up a step or two. <laughs> Am I okay? You all right? I'm not challenging you too much. Am I making you better? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. See, I always want my life to make people better. <laughs> I got to read you a scripture that's amazing. I read it all the time. I preach it all the time. If you ever watch YouTube, you heard me talk about the scripture. But don't get familiar with the scriptures. Don't say, well, I want something fresh. Become the thing you've heard. Because every day it's fresh. There's phrases in the scripture. I don't want that old stale man. I want a fresh word from the Lord. Well, you've heard a thousand words in your life. Be careful with some of this religious language that's out there. Paul said, it's not tedious for me to write the same thing to you over and over. Paul wrote that to the Philippians. For you, it's a safeguard. Hebrews 2 says, take earnest heed. It didn't say take heed. It said earnest heed. It, it, that's, an, that's probably, a, what is that in English? That's, uh, that's more of an adjective than a verb. Earnest heed, it describes the heed, right? 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's intense. He didn't just say take heed. Take earnest heed of the things you've heard. At least they drift away. Do you know what Peter did? He wrote 2 Peter chapter 1. And two-thirds of the way through the chapter, he said, I write these things to you even though you know them and are established in them. Well, Peter, if you're so full of revelation and a disciple and walk with the Lord, why don't you give us something fresh, brother? I write these things to you even though you know them and are established in them, but I think it's safe to stir you by reminding. And as long as I'm here, I'll keep these things in front of you and make sure you have them even after my decease or departure. So what he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1 must be pretty important to Peter's heart. Because he said, I took the time to write all this even though you know it and are living in it. Just to make sure you always stay there. And then when Jesus shows up, that's where you're living. Do you know there's brothers that'll get tired of waiting and hey, the time ain't coming and life's moving on. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up and they're eating, drinking and beating their fellow servant. Why? Didn't take earnest heed. Didn't take earnest heed. Didn't wake up every morning and realize why they're here. Didn't wake up every morning and be the steward of their own heart. The steward of their own conscience and recognize why Jesus lives in them. It's not so they feel better today. Do you know what I caught today when Ethan was speaking and then pastor got up and shared and we had a little altar ministry? It wasn't nothing they said wrong or anything, but what I realized is I've realized it before, but it emphasized in my heart that, if, that, if, that if, if we don't catch this, it's trouble. Your Christian journey isn't to get through the day. You're living for that day. You're not using the gospel to get through. The gospel's not a survival kit. It's not God's plan to make it in life. People that are living that way as Christians, all their prayers are just around protection, well-being, provision. And it's such a self-focused world they're living in that they don't even see their sphere of influence. They're using all their faith to get through in a healthy manner to where they actually feel they're blessed circumstantially. And if anything shifts or shakes there, they're wondering what they're doing wrong, how they can pray different to get that to change. And their whole focus is on their life. Instead of his life in them. Amen. So if they get laid off, they live laid off. Wow. If they get in an accident, they live like they've been in an accident. And the thing that's happening to them in the moment is who they are and how they are. Instead of the thing that he accomplished through his cross. Are you with me? Yeah. Come on. You're not just, today has enough of its own. Don't get caught up in tomorrow, right? So live today in a manner worthy of that day that's coming. You're not trying to get through the day. You're here to shine. You're here to shine. People pray, I just thank you, God, protection over my car. I'll never be in a car wreck because I'm in covenant and da-da-da. They pray that way and pray that way. And then when they're in a car wreck, they freak out and they can't recover because why well, was in a car wreck? I prayed I never would be. Well, where did God tell you to pray you never would be? 
He wants you to be ready in case you are. He wants you to be able to shine in any moment. Now, I'm not waiting to get crashed and wrecked into. I believe there's a general sense of protection. But if the cars crash and you're saying I never will be, you're more thrown by the fact that you were than ready to shine. And now you're back into the self-centered thing all about me. Can't believe it was in a car wreck. Why'd you let this happen, God? I remember parking a new truck on the top of a hill at church in a hurry because I was running late pastoring phone calls, people counseling, trying to help, and I'm a long-winded teacher, and I want you to get the point, and you ask me a short question, and I give you a mega-long answer. Because I'm sincere. I want to help you. I'm not trying to get rid of you. I want you to shine and do well. So I'm there, and then I'm like, oh, I need to lead intercession. I get over to church, obeying speed limits. Amen. Stopping at stop signs. I pull up. I jump out. I have a clutch. I go to hit in neutral and pull the brake. I don't know what happened. I don't know if a little limp crawled in my car and took the brake off. I don't know if I hurried and just didn't pull the brake and thought I did. I don't know. I just know my pretty little truck was sitting at the top of the hill at the church front doors and I ran in, flipped on the lights, put on a soft little piano CD so you could walk into the flow of it all. And I hustled and I ran back out and my truck's gone. And I said, oh no, I left my truck running. Some youngster, probably bound on drugs, jumped in my truck and stole it so that they could sell it or something. Oh, Lord, have mercy. My concern was, who took my truck and why? And I went, Lord, oh, have mercy. God, why would somebody, unless they're in real trouble, God, if they have need. And I looked down the bottom of the hill and I went, oh, my goodness, there you are. You know how when they dig foundations, they find these big quartz rocks and stuff? In our area, we got quarries everywhere. It's huge quartz rocks and stuff. They got this rock. It's sitting at the bottom of the church property. They set it there as a a lawn ornament. It's the kid's play toy, man. There's a way to climb on it. It's a little sloped. It's giant and round. It's like a tabletop. It's big. Kids are all over it and rolling around playing. Well, my truck, cherry red, pretty little cherry red Nissan truck, was planted firmly upon the rock. There's a nursery right across the street. There's a main road right beside the rock with busy traffic. My truck free rolls down the hill and plants on the rock. I looked down and I went, oh my goodness, Lord, thank you. First thing out of my mouth, not, what? No! Ah! Watch. Lord, What's going on? Why can't you protect the things that are dear to me? I mean, I'm trying to do your will. I'm trying to lead prayer. I'm on the phone ministering and pastoring you. Think you could take care of my truck? (laughs) Hello? That is a zero perspective. That is you saying you're in this for you. You got issues. You're not doing a good job. I'm doing my part. Hello? And you're this close to a hard heart. And you're this close to not having any intimacy with God. In fact, if you're saying that, 
you probably are already at that place. You're probably doing ministry rather than knowing him. Are we okay? The breakout said, I think we better break out. Come on, I'm just telling you real stories. So here's what happens. It's a response. It's something I've built my heart in, in communion with God and loving not my own life unto death. And a thousand times over when you weren't there, sitting on my bed weeping, thanking him, my life's not my own, that today's an opportunity to shine. Come hell or high water, we're going to walk in the light as you're in the light. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I appreciate you, Father, that no one owes me a thing. Today's stress and strife and frustration and anger have no place in my life. They are not responses. They are not normal. They are from another place. You're in me and I'm in you. And I put on who you are. That's the way I talk to him when you're not looking. Yeah? It's not, Lord, I just pray that you help me get through the day and that my boss isn't as mean as he was yesterday because I'm getting really wore down by the end of the day. And if I got to hear all them F-bombs again, I think I need another job. And I don't know why you let me have to put up with all this if you really love me. That is not prayer. That is a dead giveaway that it's all about you. Come on, I hope you can handle this. Please. Because if you can't, you're already getting located. I said it last night, complaining never has a place in the Christian life. I mean, we complain and lose our joy if our cell phone battery's dead and we don't have a charger. Our life is almost over. (laughs) Be real. The car sputters at an intersection and you go, not now, not this month when I have all these other bills. No way. God, you got to bless this car. And all of a sudden, he's a genie in a bottle. And you're just a car sputter away from disposition failure, from attitude. That's a dead giveaway that you're circumstantially driven. That you're actually a Christian for your sake. And you have him hired on, in a sense, to take care of your stuff instead of transform your life. Are you guys okay? You're just really like, I raised my hands. I said, Father, I just thank you. Oh, my goodness, your grace is so amazing, God. You say, your grace, his grace would be amazing if he kept the car at the top of the hill. No, no, no. His grace is amazing because that thing is sticking on a rock and not in a nursery. That thing is sticking on a rock and it ain't on that busy road. And I, I laughed and I said, I don't talk to the devil too much. I ignore him pretty much. I just, every once in a while, if he's in the way, I'll move him aside. But there's two things I don't think about in my life is sin and the devil. I'm supposed to be reckoned dead to sin and the devil's a cut off withering branch coming to nothing. The last thing he needs is a platform. When you have no identity, you put a person on a platform, they'll try to find identity. They'll manifest. You see what happens when you put people on a platform? They'll manifest. He's a cut-off withering branch commenting nothing. He's not the problem we think. He's seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for vulnerability. People that position themselves through lack of understanding, through their words, through wrong motivations. Oh, it's real good, I promise. But thanks. Oh, I appreciate it. It's good. 
Because then what happens is your motive's already skewed, and then when bad things happen and more things happen, then you finally say, because you're already in a wrong zone, you say, God, why are you letting all these things happen to me? And now you have another beef. It's the Lord. I don't know if I can take any more. God, why are you letting all these things? He's not letting anything happen to you. You're positioned for it. There's a place to keep yourself, and the evil one touches you not. I read that in my Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So you say, well, he touched your truck. Yeah, but he didn't touch me. There was a time I was dragging my leg around. It was witchcraft. For 10 days, I had zero use of my leg. It was a dead hunk of rubber. Dead hunk of rubber. Every authority and leader in my life that loved me and cared for me had all kinds of advice and offered me all kinds of things. And it was a sad day for me to realize that we really don't understand warfare. They're like, well, you need to go this. And you need. I said, it's witchcraft. A demon walks into my room, threatens my leg. I wake up and I don't have use of my leg. I don't need 911. I don't need a name. I don't need a prescription. I got the finished work of the cross. It's witchcraft. I didn't strain it on the stairway. I didn't fall off a step. I don't need that medical. It's not an accident. It's a demonic spirit. I already got my answer. And I'm going to stand in that. One of the pastors said, well, brother, look at your leg. I said, when would you ever preach that from the pulpit? From the pulpit, you, you preach, don't you ever look at the things that are seen because they're subject to change. The things that are unseen are eternal. Amen, brother, good preaching. And now you're behind the scenes and you're afraid for me and you're telling me to do what you'd never preach to the people. Shame on you. And then the one pastor said, well, I'm puzzled by this. He said, because honestly, Dan, in my life, I don't know anyone personally that understands righteousness more than you and understands relationship with God and has an intimate, close relationship more than I see in your life. And for this to happen to you, it's just, it's just trying to freak me out. I got a million questions, and I'm wondering how can this even be happening to you, Dan? And, and why is this touching you? And I said, I think you're looking at the wrong place still, sir. I said, I need you to look me in the eyes and tell me if it's touching me. I said, you're looking at my leg and it's touching you. I'm looking to him and it hasn't touched me yet. Are you with me? Are you seeing this? Yeah. You see, my leg's okay, right? It was witchcraft. The biggest mistake I can make is let my leg define who he is. When who he is defines my leg. And I teach theology through the circumstance instead of find it through Jesus' life and it's already written. Do you know how many times we found God along the way and the God we found isn't who he is at all? And then we give spiritual analogies to make our troubled hearts feel better but find no freedom because it's truth that makes us free. The last thing I need is to come up with a spiritual analogy to cover my basis. The thing touched my leg, it didn't touch me. When it gets in here, that's when it's got me. When it changes my eye, I'm in trouble. When it becomes about what I'm going through and how it hurts and how uncomfortable it is and how it's an inconvenience, 
then I'm on thin ice. See, I lost my mother to 40 years of disease, and most of that I wasn't saved. But my mama taught me something totally it's priceless, what she taught me. She was a daughter and created a shine before she was an MS patient. So I never heard her once complain about her disease. I never once saw her laying in a bed with tubes feeding her and going to the bathroom for her and couldn't even walk for 15 years. I never saw her complain. Never. Why? Because she knew she was called to shine. And she was his before she was MS's. And you couldn't not love her. She couldn't not grab your heart and get your attention. Because you'd look at her state and then you'd see her countenance and it overwhelmed everybody that ever cared for her. Every nurse and every doctor was enamored by her. They thought she was an enigma, once in a lifetime patient. And at her funeral they realized why she lived that way because I had the mic because I was, did my mom's service. But guess who was at her funeral? Nurses and doctors and care workers. Now you tell me doctors have the schedule to go to patients' funerals. It might happen in a blue moon, but not several nurses and several doctors at one woman's grave. He's the director of city doctors. He does not have the schedule to stand at K. Moeller's grave. But he made the time because he honored who she was. And I had the mic and put definition to why she was, who she was. And I talked about complaining and self-centeredness and the doctors all cried and came to me and said, man, was that enlightening. We just thought she was a special enigma lady. Now we understand what made her tick and the why behind her expression. I had the nurses crying. They were so easy. I, I saw the nurses. I said, hey, on behalf of the family and myself and my family, I just want to thank you all, friends and family, for coming. And hey, oh my. And they're like, and they're already weepy because mom's in the, you know, going to be buried. And, and I said, girls, I know why you're all here. Because you've never met anyone like her. And you couldn't not love her. And they're, I got them as messed up as I could. <laughs> and then I went like this. <laughs> it was so easy to cut out their hearts. <laughs> Yay. 40 years sick. Not because I'm in denial and have a short-term memory loss. I don't have one memory of my mom complaining about what she was going through. I would walk in the room to see her and she would light up and say, hi. And I'd say, hi, mama, how are you? And she'd say, well, I'm fine. How are you? Phew. Why would she answer like that? Because she was fine. Because she knew she was shining. She wanted healed. She believed in healing. She prayed over her body. But she didn't let an MS decide who she was. She let Jesus settle that a long time ago. 
And she didn't believe God put this on me so that I could have grace to reach people. If you walk in the light, you'll reach people no matter what. That's stop making it God's sovereign choice. God paid to crush things that we're accepting as him. He, he doesn't need to put disease on you to give you grace to touch people. You already have that. Just touch people. Well, he put this on me to put me around certain people. You, you have a sphere of influence. He makes the most of things. You make the most of things. He works all things together for the good. Let's not confuse that with him orchestrating it. He's not giving you MS so you can reach those doctors. But in the fight against MS, the good fight of faith, you reach the doctors because you don't lose your identity. Are you with me? It's just solid. It's just straight. And it just keeps everybody's hearts free because my mama passed. And I think psychologically, emotionally, I was a little relieved because she wasn't suffering anymore because I think it hurt us more than she ever showed that it hurt her just to see her laying there. Sometimes I, it would grate on me and I'd feel like a lot of her life was robbed. And then I'd have to rebound and realize, man, she's functioning right where she's at in a powerful way and not letting that so I can't get weird with it. You know what I'm saying? So when she passed, I didn't even cry. I, I understand the gospel. She, my mom is so okay, it's ridiculous. Like, I don't feel like I lost my mother. No, she's alive forever because of Jesus. You're gonna say, well, you're mad at God because, well, I don't know why he let my mom die. See, that's because you're a Christian for now. You're a Christian for yourself, for your world. You're not living for that day. You're hoping your day goes better. So when a parent dies or a child or whoever, we get so turned inward and sentimental and our real motive and vision gets exposed by the way we react. Come on. I'm telling you, don't you get trapped trying to get through this life with convenience. I can show you Matthew 7, and I'm not prophesying negative. Matthew 7 says... That the storm comes to the wise and the foolish. That you can do everything right here and become. And the, the same storms come into your life that comes to the foolish man. It's not because you opened a door. It's because of the word. It's for the word's sake that it comes. Satan's trying to crush the word. He could care less about you. In the little parable of the wise man. It's not even trying to kill the occupant of the house. It's just trying to destroy what's being built. So if you take adversity personal. You're going to make a big mistake. If you take adversity personal, you're going to make a big mistake. And you're going to give yourself away to the enemy that's out there. And you're going to reveal what motivates your life. So adversity is always his option because it works. Satan immediately comes because of the word. Not because he's trying to give you a bad day. People say, well, I'm just tired of the devil. He's always picking on me. Well, I don't know. I'm just the devil's this, the devil's that. Ever hear this? Every time I step out and minister, all hell breaks loose. I'm just going to quit stepping out if God ain't going to protect me. Whew. Dead giveaway. Lack of understanding. That's exactly what the devil wants you. He's sitting there going, ha, pushovers. They wave their flags. They don't even know what they're doing. 
they shout out scriptural principles, but put a little heat on them. Their true colors will shine. Look, any of us can pray when there's a problem. You get diagnosed with cancer, it's easy for the church to pray. We understand the scriptures enough to quote enough principles. We can surround you with oil and it flies for everybody. Tiana's right, emotions, we're all crying. Wow, that was God. You could feel his presence. They get their next test and the numbers are higher. That's when you find out what you believe. And if you're not careful, you say, well, I wonder why. Now, see, that's what makes me so mad. Why is it too complicated? We all prayed. God said, see, it mustn't be God's will. And if this, and then how come, and then why, and ah, da, 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 da. And now you have a veil over your face. You have no intimacy because you have no view of him. You're not even drawn to him. You're in quandary. Why? Because you're frustrated and you're taking it all personal. Anybody can pray when there's a need. Why do you think Nebuchadnezzar, when them boys wouldn't yield, why do you think he turned the fire seven times hotter? Because it always works. People take a stand when they're in trouble, but when trouble increases, their stand changes usually. Well, what am I doing wrong? Well, why didn't God answer? Well, what did we do wrong? Well, did we pray, didn't we? We only need a mustard seed. You can't tell me we didn't have a mustard seed. Come on, I've been around us. I've heard the language countless times. And all of a sudden, we reveal that we're trying to live principles instead of have relationship. And we don't really walk in a covenant where all that is his is ours and all that is ours is his. We just want all that is his, and the gospel's a principle we apply in trouble and hope it works. And if it doesn't work, I got questions. And usually the questions are surrounded by attitude and frustration, which reveals motive. Are you guys okay? Yeah. Thinking for yourself is a really, really not cool thing. I'm going to show you in your Bibles. Because you'll never live a life of power and love when there's self-centeredness alive in our lives. Why? Because trials are a dime a dozen and something's going to distract you and take your eyes off the race and off the cause. And all of a sudden you're going to turn inward and become a product of what you're going through instead of a product of what he already went through. Are you with me? The wise man hears and becomes. And the storm comes and beats vehemently on the house. And the house doesn't fall. It stands because it's planted firmly on the rock. What was the storm trying to break down? What was built? What was believed? That storm is trying to mess with what you believe and try to get your belief system, system hinged on circumstances instead of finished work already written. Jesus didn't say to the devil, we'll play this out and learn. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. <laughs> Come on. And guess what the foolish man does? He hears the same word, does nothing with it. Storm comes, he's got nothing to stand on. Great is the fall. Why? Because it wasn't built on the rock. What happens to the man that hears the word with joy and just runs out? Woo-hoo! And the heat of the day comes and that thing shrivels. Had no root in him. Be rooted and grounded in love. Faith worketh through love. If you're finding love along the way, you're deceived. You found love when he hung there. You're established in it. He loves me because Christ was crucified. Settled. He's for me and not against me because when I was yet a sinner, he came, settled. 
Well, how do you know God loves you? Because Jesus came. He was crucified. Yay. Here's what the cross is saying. I love you. I know who you are. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing, but we know who they are. We created you for something, something amazing, and it's worth paying for, and I'm willing to give my life, and I'm going to bring you back to everything you were intended and desired to be from the beginning. I'm going to restore you to love, to purpose, to potential, to destiny, and you can write legacy through this sacrifice. Come to me, and I'll come in you, and we'll be one, and we'll tear it up. Are you in? Come on, that's what the cross is saying. You're more than what you've been living. You're more than you understand. I know the truth because I am the truth. I've known you from the beginning. You were born into Adam, but it's time to get born in me. Yeah. Yay. Man, that makes me happy. It's the gospel. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how even in seminaries across the planet, we teach to come to a man and get a man to change based on his depravity. We just attack a man's sin and his depravity. We think we have to get a man to see his depravity to get born again. Well, no, all he's going to do is end up getting condemned and get into works. Jesus never came to a man because of depravity. It's the goodness of God that leads men to change. You come to men based on their value and you teach them what you're living is not what you were created for. You're way more than what you're doing. You pull them out of darkness and put them into the light. You translate them from darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. He loves you. What's he love about you? Everything you're created to be, everything he looks like when he's in you and you're surrendered, he thinks it's worth paying for. He didn't die on the cross because you're a sinner. He had to die because you sinned. But he didn't die on the cross because you're a sinner. He died on the cross to become what you were, to pay the price for you to become what he is, a son. He's taken your place. He cursed sin in the flesh, so sin shall have no dominion over you. Yeah? He, he paid a price to restore truth in your life. He didn't die on the cross because you're a sinner. He had to give his life to pay the total price that we owed to get us out of sin and into him. Yes, he had to die because we sinned and it cost his life to pay for sin. But the reason he's doing it is to redeem you back to truth, not just forgive you. So he says, if any man come after me, aren't you glad he didn't say this? If any man come after me, just know that I forgive you through my blood and just be rest assured that even though you're all sinners, I still love you and forgive you. No, he said, if any man come after me, let him first deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. You know what we turned it into? If you die tonight and don't know where you're going, pray this prayer so you can be sure. Self-serving, beneficial motives. You can pray that prayer and still be mad at your spouse and your boss all in the same day. Yeah? You can pray that prayer on the street corner. And the evangelist says, "Woo, another fish. Five weeks later, you walk up to that same fish and he comes out of the bar with a woman that ain't his wife. Hey, man, did you hear the good news? What are you talking about? Jesus? Yeah, man. Do you know him? Yeah, man. I prayed that prayer over here five weeks ago so that I could be sure where I'm going if I die. Let's go, honey. We just give people a piece of truth. 
and they live in that little peace. You say, well, God can work with it. Why do we force mercy to always work? Why don't we just give them the message? You're your own worst problem. You're your own worst enemy. The only reason you're mad at your spouse is because your heart's hard. Because you're living for yourself, man. Dude, get real with me. You got self-centered stuff going on in your life. You're mad at her and be real because I live that way. Nothing's good enough. No matter what she does, you've got issues that are unresolved in your own heart. You're mad at the world and you're blaming people for your mistakes. Get real with me, man. I've talked that strong with people and other people I've talked with great compassion. You have to discern the difference. But some people need shaken to reality and some people need ministered to in a very gentle way. I was in prison. You're not even supposed to touch them inmates. I'm in an attorney-client room. i got a big old atheist dude sitting across from me. He wants to meet with me. Why? Because the people that get done meeting with me go back into the prison and are acting goofy to him. They're like, why are they so happy? Why are they smiling all the time? Why are they all excited to see you? Why do they come out of the room with that look on their face? So he comes in, he's, this is a big dude, man. He's got cut off prison things, man. He got his sleeves cut off. It looks like you took my legs and sewed them on his shoulders. <laughs> he's just sitting there. I walked in the attorney client room and there he is. I said, hey, bud. Hey. I said, what's going on, man? You, did you ask to meet with me? Yeah, man, I want to find out what you're all about. I just want you to get something straight. I'm not a believer. I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in God. I said, well, then why'd you ask to meet with me, man? You got questions? I just want to know what you're telling these guys because they're acting strange. I said, well, I can tell you, man. And I started talking. He said, let me get something straight. You need to get that wild look out of your eyes, dude. He said, you're freaking me out. He said, you freak me out when you talk because you get this wild look in your eyes when you talk. Why don't you just settle down? Get that wild look out of your eyes, man. You're freaking me out. And you don't even do this. You're not even allowed to do this. But Holy Ghost doesn't know every rule. <laughs> I shot right across the table. My hands aren't even big for a man. I'm a six-foot man, and my hands are little. Some of you ladies got hands as big as mine. My hands are little. I always wish growing up I had bigger hands. I had little hands. I tried to grab his bicep. Oh, I didn't try. I just snatched him. Ooh, I had my hand around a piece of his bicep. I shot right across the table. I got my face up over and I'm right here. I said, maybe it's time for you to be freaked out because he's real and he loves you. And that's what he chokes, cries, and gets born again. I promise you, those kind of stories, they fly and they're happy and they're yay. But I'm not, this isn't works, you hear me well. That stuff ain't even happening and you're not even in the room if you're just ministry driven. You ain't walking authority, you ain't seeing that stuff. You don't have the confidence to do that if you're just ministering. You don't have discernment. I love people. Some you snatch out of the fire, some you save with compassion. God said, snatch him right out of the fire. <laughs> Wonder if he'd have punched you. Well, then you turn the other cheek and really prove the point. Hello? Not, I can't believe you let him hit me, God. Well, I ain't never going to the prison again. I ain't talking to nobody if you're going to let him punch me. Come on. You be real with me. Locate where you're at. You're driving down the street, and there's this mean-looking dude on the corner, intimidating to the eye. And God says, I need you to park your car and go over and tell him I love you. I love him. And you go, what? I just want you to tell him I love him. Now listen, when you tell him, he's going to punch you dead square in the jaw. You go, what? He is, man. But as soon as he punches, you just look him right in the eyes and say, 
Look, sir, that doesn't change a thing. He loves you. Now, you know how many of us wouldn't even dare and we'd be rebuking the devil for the thought. Get thee behind me, Satan. God's out for my well-being. You're trying to get me punched, devil. My day's loaded with benefits. That's a lying devil. <laughs> yeah? You better look at what page you live on. Because if he tells you to park that car, I just wonder if you would. Because how powerful would it be to walk up to that man, as intimidating as he is, and say, hey, man, what do you want? I know you? No, man, but listen. I was just driving by, and I heard this in my heart. What do you mean you heard in your heart? I just heard Jesus say he loves you, man. Bam! Don't you tell me that Jesus stuff. I don't believe in your blankety-blanket God, and, and you're standing there, and blood's pouring down your lip. You said, listen, man, hit me all you want. It doesn't change the truth. And you stare right in his eyes and tears fill your eyes. He loves you, man. I just believe you're going to see it. God bless you. You walk and you trust Holy Spirit because the sower sows the word. He goes to bed at night. He wakes up and says, whoa, how do you do it, God? Yeah? But if you ain't willing to sow, how's anything going to grow? You pray for your city all you want, but if you ain't sowing into your city, where's the harvest coming from? It's not just prayer. You better sow some seed. In fact, just put two bags over here. Sow some seed. I'm a gardener. I learned something a while back. If you don't sow, you ain't getting nothing's growing. There ain't no farmer ever so spiritual. He walks over to the door. He's 85 years old. He's been farming his whole life. He looks out the window. He says, hey, Mildred, I just can't believe there ain't no corn in the field. I've been believing for the best crop ever. I know. I know you've been believing, but, honey, I ain't even seen you on the tractor. In fact, honey, you didn't even buy no seed this year. Nope, I'm just believing for the corn. But, honey, you didn't sow no seed. I'll just believe in it would grow. No, honey, seed time, harvest time, first law in the Bible. Honey, you better go get some seed and get on that tractor. <laughs> I know it sounds corny, but come on. We say we're sincere and we're praying for our whole corny. Dude, that was lame humor and it worked because it was just, I didn't even, I was oblivious. See, I'm not that quick. But that was corny. <laughs> He had to bring me up to speed. Corny. That was ingenious. I can't try that again. It'll flop. I tell that story and do it on purpose. Somebody go. But ain't that awesome? So you pray for your city. You're sincere. And you say you want your city to change. But the sincerity of your city, wanting the city to change, will be shown in your conduct and in your life. Like, like a person will go to a church, he's trying to get into ministry. He's just passed through Bible college, he's done internship, he's called the youth ministry. So he's putting in all his applications at churches to be a youth minister, but he ain't pouring into no young people. He's just trying to get a job. So if I'm pastor and you come to my church 
and you fill out a resume for youth ministry and tell me all your accolades and all the courses you passed, I don't even care about that. I want to know who you're pouring into. I want their names. I want to meet them. And I want to see fruit in their life. I want to see how effective you are within what you say you're called to. Because if you're called to it, you're doing it without the title. It's amazing how we think everything has to be through ministry. Full time, which means getting paid for what I do. Yeah. I've been in full time ministry for 21 of my 23 years and never asked for it. You know where I have the most fun of my life? Working a secular 40 hour a week job. It's so fun to me. And I've been in full-time ministry. I stopped pastoring for two years, gave back my salary, and still functioned as a pastor, just gave back my salary and just went into a warehouse just to work and get around people that didn't have a clue just because I love that. I just love going to work and they're against Jesus. And in time, they have to love him because you work there. And you don't know how to complain. You don't know how to backbite. You have no clue what it means to be discouraged. And you do your work under the Lord. And you do it right. And the company begins to respect you and honor you. And the co-workers can't get around your integrity. And no matter how much they mock you, their wheels are spinning because you're real and you're living it. Oh, it freaks people out because they can't, they don't know what to do with it. Oh, they eat hypocrisy alive and they've seen it their whole life. But they, when they bump into somebody that's living in relationship with Jesus, they don't know what to do. They surrender. I've seen it. I could tell you stories for hours. Power and love. Fellowship and relationship with God. Healthy attitude. A why behind your life that's solid. You're not going to work just because you need to pay bills. It's part of your mission field. It's part of your sphere of influence. It's part of your privileged circle. Yeah? And it's a circle that others don't have, but you got it. You might as well sow well there and reap there. Water good there. Yeah? yeah? Come on, man. You know what happened? I'm not boasting to me. I'm telling you what's possible. You know what happened on my last day at that job? My last day. I had to go back to the office. The Lord said, listen, this was a fun ride for you. You got some answers you were looking for and some things, but I need you back in the office. So I gave my notice, told him, the Lord's telling me I got to get back to the office. I honestly, I want to stay here. But I got to get back to the office. I was struggling with ministry a little bit. Work, uh, work at a warehouse was easy for me. Ministry was an adjustment. I was green in a lot of things. Church felt like a business in some angles. Everything was Christian. The people that were backslidden said amen. And I just wanted to get around something that was real. I just felt like everything was Christian. Like I was like, I got to just get out of here and get some air, man. Like, everything's Christian. You say, ain't that good? Not when it's really not Christ-like. We don't need a language. We need a life. <laughs> Come on, man. Who's, is there somebody Spanish close by that actually is Spanish by, by, by birth and speaks Spanish? Anybody? You? You speak Spanish? Okay, watch this. You're Spanish. I'm not. I could learn the language and speak it clear, but it never will make me Spanish. You can learn English, speak it clear, but it never makes you English. 
So the language, learning the language isn't what makes you Christ-like. <laughs> so let's not just get up on all the terms. Sons and daughters. Oh, it sounds great. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. So we're all sons, daughters, Papa God. Come on, if he's your Papa God, make sure you're intimate with him before you're calling him Papa publicly because it's a kosher term now. It just fits. It's acceptable. <laughs> Sonship is an expression, not a confession. Watch this. Watch this. Oh, I got so much word on it. It's Matthew 5. You say, you have heard it said, and you say, but I say. He does that the whole chapter. Which means you're not saying what I'm saying. <laughs> he says, you say, love your enemy and hate your neighbor. But I say unto you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. He doesn't say gripe, complain, and pray for God to knock them off their high horse. Pray for those who persecute you. Give to those who would spitefully use you. Why? In the world would I do that so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven who causes the rain and sun to come upon the righteous and the unrighteous. For what credit is it to you if you love those who only love you? For don't the pagans even do that much? That scripture, I read it. Why would you live that way? So that you may be. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the. Wow. So I guess it doesn't take anybody special to have issues. But I bet it's a select group of people that make peace. And we sell cheap. We say, well, if you don't fight back, you're just passive. You're an enabler. Well, nobody's making me a doormat. We have a lot of language that surrounds letting our hearts get hard. Was Jesus a doormat? Was he like a pacifist? Was he a pushover? Was he an enabler? He showed me what truth looks like. He empowered me. He was hanging there. He's at his greatest place. He's manifesting God. Showing me what love looks like in person, in the flesh. And we beheld him in grace and truth. Whew. You get it? Man, he is not just my suffering savior. He's not just my sin sacrifice. He's my model for life. He shows me what life looks like in the Father. And then he invited me in and said, follow me. I think I'm going to. Yeah? Deny yourself what? Pick up. And what? What's he saying? Don't let life decide who you are. Don't let circumstances decide who you are. Don't let what one person did to you or didn't do to you decide who you are unless their name is Jesus. Don't ever let sin against you produce sin in you. Overcome evil with good. Tone down a harsh word with a kind word. Let mercy triumph over judgment and cover a multitude of sins with love. Yeah? It's called carry your cross. 
Don't let life around you decide who you are. Let the life that's in you already settle it. I never read the scripture, but we're ready to read it now. It's the scripture that tells you that self-centeredness is really, really a bummer. Do you put metal in a microwave? You're really not supposed to, are you? There's some scientific reason, but when you do it by mistake, did you ever do it by mistake? Does it freak you out for a second and you hit the off button or the door quick? This is pretty, pretty reactionary. If you just let a fork on a plate and you don't realize it's there. Did you ever pop something in and it was wrapped in foil and you weren't thinking? It's like, it's like Ethan when he goes to Walmart to pray for the sick, his voice octave changes. Hello, can I pray for you? You're the one that told us, man. Hey, sir. Can I pray for you? <laughs> so awesome. Because he was so freaked out, but he did it. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Way to go, Ethan. Don't you just love it at age 16 that that's on his mind? Does that just, just eat you up inside like in a good way? Like, <clears throat> Like these young people come up to me, they did it this weekend again everywhere I go. Young, young, young people, teenage people. They go, hey, and they're actually, you can see they're genuinely excited to meet you. And they say, you have been impacting my life. I've been watching you on YouTube, man. Oh my goodness, it's changing everything. And I'm like, you really care about what I'm saying? Are you kidding? Yeah, this changes everything, man. Jesus is awesome. And I'm like, Be caring about a thousand other things. And these young people are hearing, this isn't another rule to follow. This is a life to become. This is something I'm created for and called to. Why? Because you don't put metal in a microwave. Why? Metal wasn't made for a microwave. Microwave wasn't made for metal. There's a scientific reason. But the manufacturer's handbook says, it's not good. And that if you do it, it's going to create problems. Well, the manufacturer's handbook right there on life the one that made people, guess what he said in his book? You don't do yourself. You don't, make, you don't put metal in a microwave. Life wasn't made to live for yourself. If you do it, you'll ruin the product. So the first thing you've got to do to follow him is deny yourself. You can't be a Christian for you. Like if you're a Christian for your sake, you're in a lot of trouble already. You're just an adversity away or mounting adversity of falling apart and giving your motive away. Crying out, complaining, getting discouraged, backsliding. That's right. Giving up, arguing with God, mad at your pastor for what he preached because it ain't working in your life. You give away then. You regroup, take a deep breath and say, why am I in this thing? If I'm in this thing for blessing, I probably need to regroup. I'm in this thing to shine. So if you treat me wrong, I'm not going to live treated wrong. I'm going to live treated right. If you live in unforgiveness against me, I'm not going to live as if you're in unforgiveness. I'm going to live forgiven, and I'm going to love you. And when I pray for you and nobody's looking, tears are going to run down my face for your sake. Like, I'm the wrong guy to do wrong if you don't want change. Because I'll pray in the middle of the night for you. I'll wake up and think of you and pray, and it won't be because I'm hurt by you. It's because I'm hurting for you. 
Because I know if you knew who you were, you wouldn't be stuck there. There's something you're not seeing. And I'll cry out on your behalf through the mediation of the blood of Jesus at about 2.33 in the morning. And guess what will happen? Holy Spirit will hear me because of my motive, because love, yay. And he'll leave the room and come and get you in the middle of the night. I'm telling you, and you'll have thoughts of him, and you'll think twice, and my face will come to you, and you'll freak out and get born again, just so you don't have to see my face at three in the morning. Wouldn't that be awesome? You wake up, and I'll just be right there. Oh! Yeah. Do you know how many people pray for people because they're hurt by them? Do you know how many people pray for people because they can't take them anymore? It's a self-righteous prayer. You're actually asking God to fit your preference world. Change people for your preference sake instead of his namesake. Praying because they bother you. I'd be more bothered that they bother you. So let's back up and ask why do they bother you so much? Because if your motive for praying for them is because they bother you, it's going to be a self-righteous prayer. You're asking God to yield to your preference. Do you think God would walk in a room and look around and have first impressions and judge people outwardly and rub elbows with people that he feels comfortable with and avoid people that kind of freak him out? Well, then where'd we learn to live that way if he wouldn't do that? We must have learned it somewhere else. So if Jesus didn't teach us this stuff, where'd we get it? I bet you we got it from Adam. I bet we were taught by a lie. I bet we were born into Adam and we ought to get born again. And I'll bet you born again isn't a prayer to take me to heaven. It's heaven coming back into me and me getting renewed to truth. I bet you this is really good news. Yeah? See, you're the steward of your own heart. You know you. You live with you. Nobody knows you like you. Oh, I'm sure there's people in their life, your life that figure, think they got you figured out. But the truth is you know you. You know if you're frustrated inside. You know what you're thinking of me right now when I'm talking. Even if I'm wrong, you shouldn't be hating me. You should cry for me. If you're sure I'm wrong, man, you ought to pray a prayer of mercy for me. Not write a bad article and say I'm a heretic. You probably ought to weep for me when nobody's looking to prove you know him too. Because some of the ways we touch each other, we're a dead giveaway that we really don't know him either. We're so busy trying to say who knows him and who doesn't, and our lives are revealing that. Are you all with me? Come on. You know how easy it's been in our lives to just be frustrated at what we don't agree with? I would challenge that if that's in your life today. I would say, why am I so agitated? Why do I matter so much? Why do I make my preference matter more than the heart of God shining through me? Because until my response looks like love, I haven't grown up into him in all things. Are you with me? It's the whole reason we teach and train and equip so we grow up into the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're no longer tossed to and fro. So we grow into the full measure, the stature of Christ and walk as one. Wow. Ain't that something? We all have a sphere of influence. We all live in different communities. Wonder if everybody tomorrow just wakes up for the same reason. Wonder if on Monday because of this conference we just all wake up and we're conscious of a new motive. Wonder if we all go to work with a different why in our heart. Wonder if you go shopping and have a different perspective than you had before the weekend and it's a kingdom thing. Wonder if you're pumping gas and you actually notice the person down the aisle of the pumps there. 
And you actually say, hey, man, you doing good today? Oh, man, I'm hanging in there. Well, listen, and you just share your heart with them a little bit. Or you just look and say, man, did, were you hobbling when you got out of there? Did you, you look like you hurt your hip or something. Man. Oh, it's my hip, man. It's so bad. It grinds me all the time. You just shut off the pump because you ain't supposed to at home leave them running. So just shut it off because they're, they're afraid it will overflow. It never does. It kicks off. But just in case, it says right on there not to leave it unattended. So don't break no rules. Be so spiritual you break laws. Stop. You don't be driving all over the lane and speeding and say, I was just drunk in the Lord. Stop. Just stop. If you're that drunk, pull over. Just stop, man. And you walk over to him and say, listen, man, I saw you limping. I wasn't just being nosy. I care about something. There's some things I'm learning and growing in my life. And I don't always see things change right away, but I've seen some things change. And I'm just convicted. That, what are you even talking about, man? Listen, please don't say, no, I just want to pray for you and believe your hip change. Oh, man, I don't need. No, listen, man, we're at a pump. You got nothing to lose. If I, if I wasn't for real, what do I have this? I'm going to drive away. I may never see you again, man. But if your hip changes, that'll be pretty incredible, won't it? And you'll know it was him. So let's just pray. And if they're acting hesitant, you know what I'll do sometime? I won't even get their hand. I'll just say, Father, I just thank you right now. So I just override their apprehensions. They don't get offended. I'm not forcing myself on them. I'm just believing God. Why? Because they're still discerning, and I don't know what this guy's about. We're so busy with what's up your sleeve and where's the catch that sometimes until you walk away, it doesn't even hit them that you're for real. They're still waiting for the spring. They, they think you're trying to get them to pray that prayer we all try to get them to pray. You'd be amazed. They're on to us. Yeah, because we've taught evangelism instead of become love. Love is evangelistic. Love takes notice and sees things and, and just says, Father, I just thank you for amazing love for this man and I just thank you that today is hip. It's just different than it's ever been. And that somehow, some way, he'll just begin to discern your love and realize how real you are towards him and how much you care. God bless him and let his day be amazing in you. See you, man. I got to get my gas and, and head on, but bless you, man. And when you walk away and start pumping, he's thinking, that's it? He ain't selling me nothing. He ain't getting me to commit to nothing. He didn't pass a basket. He didn't give me a card. And sometimes until you walk away, it doesn't even click that you were sincere. And I paint these pictures, man, because it's faith, man. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, because things are possible. Don't be afraid to dream this stuff. So now he gets in his car, and he starts his car, and he says, because you just sowed seed. You made contact. You might have watered something that's already sown. Watch. Now he's sitting there, and he says, God will give the, who will give the increase? If I sow or I water, who gives increase? So now he's in his car. Boom. And he's, and he's ready to start, and he's looking in his mirror, and he sees me still pumping, and, and, he, and he sees me kind of just smiling. Well, I know he ain't smiling at the gas prices. That guy must be on to something. <laughs> right? So, so, so he's in his car, and he says this in his mind. Man, that was crazy. That's like that guy really was sincere, like he actually cared about me. I don't even know him. It's almost like he cared. And right when he thinks that, the presence of the Lord just tangibly comes into his car and in his heart he hears, I've cared for you from the beginning. I love you so much. And now he can't even drive and he's weeping and sobbing in his car. And all I did is think I've just figured I sowed a seed and just loved him and now God has invaded his life, his heart and his understanding. Yeah. 
But it all goes back to this. If I don't sow, nothing grows. And watch, if I'm self-conscious, self-centered, God issues, and I got other things on my mind, I probably don't even see him. And if I do see him, I'm not moved to him because I got enough on my mind. Are you with me? I'm not saying this to brag and I'm not saying this to judge you or compare you to me. But on the day my wife was in a coma on life support with severe brain damage, I was pumping gas and you would have no idea. Why? Because that is not my world. He's my world. And I seek ye first the kingdom of God. So if you're walking across the, the, the gas station pumps and you say, hey, Pastor Dan, how's it going, man? I ain't going to say, man, you got to keep us in prayer, man. We're in a real trial right now, dude. You got to pray. Call everybody you know. Pray for my wife, man. She, she's what? Yeah, man, just get on the horn. Pass it around. Let's pray. The more people praying, the better. You will never hear me even go there. That is fear talking. That's despair talking. I read in my Bible, one with faith moves a mountain. I'm not going to turn that into a fear line. The best thing you can do is smile because it's your heart. And you say, things are going good, man. Well with you, right? Kids doing well? Good, man. Just think of you and pray for you. Bless you. Stay strong. You just keep on pumping. Why? Because you're not living as a man with a wife in a coma. You're living as a man with Christ, the hope of glory on the inside. You don't see coma. You see kingdom. Yeah? That's why she woke up in an hour and a half. You say, well, no, it was God's mercy. I understand, but God's mercy even needs a place to land. You say, well, God's good. Why are you letting him be good in your life? I could tell you God loves you. It's another thing for you to be loved by God. I could say he's merciful. It's another thing for you to receive his mercy. <laughs> See, when your heart repents, who he is lands on you. When things change, when you agree with what he sees, things that he is lands on you and becomes reality. Are you with me? It's one thing to theologically talk about it and celebrate it. It's another thing for it to come on your life and walk in it. Yeah? Come on, man. I'm just happy. People don't relate to this. Pumping gas and your wife in a coma with severe brain damage. They don't relate to it. I've pastored. People fall apart. It becomes their whole world. And the whole gospel gets reduced to principles they're desperately quoting, hoping to change things. And if it doesn't change, they're way worse off because the questions hit. And months down the road, they're actually usually worse off than they were in the crisis because they've been thinking for months. Hello? I've been face to face with this thing as a pastor. I've been very engaged and involved with people's lives. I've watched this thing happen a lot. And I've been crying out from the rooftops to get our hearts in line with truth. So truth can keep us free and we can actually see the glory of God in those situations. Because it's not the desperate prayer that brings her awake. The Bible says if a man believes, he will say to the mountain, move. And the mountain will say, yes, sir, I'm moving. That's my Bible. You can call it presumptuous and heresy all you want. But that just means you don't believe your Bible. Oh, it's Matthew 17. It says, if you have faith, you'll say to the mountain, move, and the mountain will move, and nothing, nothing, doesn't say shall be impossible to God. It says nothing shall be impossible for you. Yeah. That's your promise. That's your word. You take it or leave it, but I'm going after it. So be careful how you criticize me for it. You might be surprised in the end. 
However, this kind, what kind? This kind of unbelief, self-consciousness, fear-driven things that comes upon us. This kind of unbelief will never come out of our life unless we continue in prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord. Why? So who he is becomes who we are. So we start looking through his eyes and seeing what he sees. Yeah? Okay, I'm going to be done here in a second. I'll open it up. No, I will be. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. We'll, we'll just have a private session. No, I'm just kidding. That was special. No. <laughs> Go to James 3. It's brutal. It's good. It's liberating. When I used to do marriages and weddings, I don't do weddings anymore, but when I had the grace to do weddings in the time, and I, uh, I, preach, I preach scriptures like this at weddings. Yeah. Why? Because on wedding day, two people are giving themselves to one another. They're laying down their life for the sake of another and for the sake of the kingdom. They're getting married in the Lord. Two are becoming one for one expression, his highest. It's not, wow, you're hot. I can't believe I'm marrying you. Oh, this is amazing. Can't wait for tonight. Whoa. <laughs> Just being real and relatable. There's a lot of motives on wedding day. It's worried about five on five. Who are we going to find? I only have four. Yeah, but I can't ask anybody out. Let's just put somebody in. You can ask so-and-so. I'm not even that close to them. Yeah, but we want five on five. It'll look weird on the pictures. You know what your wedding party is? They're your witnesses. They're standing up front bearing witness of the day that you gave your life to them. And they're actually, it's all from culture and tradition. They're vowing in the presence of God to do whatever in their power to see that your marriage remains everything you promised it to be in the presence of the Lord. You're not there for pictures. Get pretty, take pictures, but make sure you know why you're there. That's why I don't have time and grace for weddings because I needed to meet with the couples about six long hours I met with all the wedding party. I met with parents on both sides, whether they were married, divorced, or whatever. Everybody involved, step-parents, everybody that was part of that union, I'd get them in a meeting and teach them what was going to happen on that day in their part. I'd make sure in-laws were in-laws and never outlaws. I'd make sure moms weren't saying, oh, dad gave her away, but I'm holding tight. I'd get the, the families to come down, the parents to come down, and, and I'd have them confess. I'd say, I'd get the man and the woman to be given away at the same time. Who gives these two? And I'd get the parents to agree and say, we do. So everybody leaves go of their children to enter into the highest now covenant relationship of their lives, and they'll always be mom and dad, but this is the priority relationship. And I would have a whole counseling session to teach parents that so they never get overbearing and, and false identity and try to cling or get controlling or do detriment to the marriage because, well, I don't like the way he, well, she should never, well, she's controlling. Hello? You got your best man? And six months later, you're out to eat together because you haven't seen each other for a while. And he says, dude, how's things going with your marriage, man? So awesome, dude, you're married. And you're like, yeah, yeah. What's up? Well, she's a little... I didn't think she, I didn't realize how much she was, she just a little, dude, I talked to you about that, like, what, six, eight months before you were married? I said, I talked to you about three times, you were like, no, no, everything's fine. I tried to tell you that, dude, I knew it, man. See, that's not a best man, that's a bummer. 
Let me show you what a best man does when you say that to him. You say, well, listen, man, what's that have anything to do with Christ in you and how you respond? Dude, when I said, how's your marriage? You didn't even seem excited to be married. You've only been in six months. Dude, you're taking where she's not personal and making it where you are. That tells me you haven't even been having a relationship with Jesus, dude. I stood there on wedding day and saw you give your life to her and say it before the Lord. I saw the tears in your face. Don't let time change truth. Dude, what are you doing? You need to knock it off. You need to stop taking account of suffer wrongs. You go back to Jesus, back to loving her. It ain't about what she's weak in. It's about what you're strong in in him. Love covers a multitude of stuff, man. Did you marry her for your sake? I didn't hear that on wedding day. You said you were going to love her like Jesus loves the church. I heard it. That's a best man. Not, well, you know, you could have made a mistake. I mean, people get presumptuous, and sometimes if it's not the one God had for you, it's going to be hell on the earth if you don't have it right. So you might want to just go fishing back in the pond again, man. Let's just put this thing aside, and maybe you just got presumptuous and made a mistake. And it's not Jesus. Jesus said, Moses only let you do that because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't this way from the beginning. Hello? I know that one hurts people because we've been through several spouses sometimes. Don't be judged and condemned by what I'm saying. Just make sure you get your heart aligned today. You say, well, you don't understand. They were hitting me. They were, I get it. But you're not compelled always to make the decisions we make. You don't have to stay under the roof. You can get away with a plan of redemption and hold on to your heart and hold on to faith. I think sometimes we're quick to move on with our lives. And then the friends say that are hurting for you. Well, God doesn't expect you to put up. And you don't have any. You only got one life to live. And you need to move on. And you're not getting any younger. And I think it's time for you to just enjoy true love. Hello? And all of a sudden, it's all about you again. And then we go to church and sing, it's all about him. And I'm a little puzzled. <laughs> you hear that, baby? That's what we should be right there. Wouldn't that be awesome if I'm preaching to you and you I would just close the sermon and say, we got it. That would be so great. Yay. I'll quit here before I mess up. This is one of my, this is one of my, my wedding scriptures. I had a rule in my pastoral life. I made a rule that I wouldn't marry you if you weren't born again. It's a very hard rule to carry out. I, I did it, though. I, I would just explain it to them and cry. And they'd cry sometimes because they wanted to get married. And, and I would go through all the counseling with them because I thought at least I'd invest in their life. But I, if they weren't born again, I didn't have the conscience to stand up front and join them because I know they can't love if Jesus isn't inside their spirit. I just wouldn't do a wedding if they weren't born again. But it's pretty hard because you can't say, well, you got to get born again or I won't do the wedding. So then they just go through the motions. It's very, it was very difficult, but I tried to do my best as a pastor to carry that out. This young couple came into my, my uh, office to counsel because somebody suggested that they ask me to do wedding because I do these great weddings, they told them. This young guy had no idea. It's true. In America, he had no idea who Adam and Eve was. I was talking about Adam and Eve, and he was like, am I supposed to know them? Like, who are they? 
I said, you don't know Adam and Eve from Genesis in the Bible, the beginning? I have no clue what you're talking about. He had no idea who Adam and Eve was. And I went, whoa. So I began to share and explain, and she's listening, and, and God told me that. He's a, a regular pot smoker because it relieved stress and it made him feel like in nonchalant zone, like whatever, dude. And that was the reason he smoked pot, and he's done it since he was a young teenager because it chilled him out, made him not care about anything. It took the edge off. He said, how do you know that? I said, Jesus knows everything. And I shared a couple more things with him. This man cried in my office. And I told him, listen, I said, the Lord, the second meeting, I said, the Lord told me that I was, spoke to my heart that it was, that I couldn't marry people if they weren't born again because they wouldn't have the ability to, to really truly love each other. But it was very difficult because I can't, you can't go through the motions. You got to truly get born again. And I said, but last night when I went home, or last week when I went home from meeting with you guys, the Lord said, hey, I want you to throw that rule away for these two. I want you to stick with them and pour into them and I want you to do their wedding. And I was like, really? He said, yeah. And I told them that and they cried. They liked me a lot, but I can't, they can't just get born again without a revelation. Jesus saves you, right? Our last, very last appointment. And I skipped the whole other appointments because nobody, they were a totally non-born again. I mean, the kid didn't know Adam and Eve. I don't think his parents were on page either. <laughs> so the Lord said, I didn't do all the meetings, didn't need to do all the meetings. But on my last appointment, they said, can we be born again before our wedding and water baptized? And I was like, yeah, like right now. <laughs> See, because in our church, we had our baptismal and we had 30 some sets of clothes in the closet. So everybody could get baptized when they were saved. Like, we just put you in them clothes. And I'd just rather you drive home wet if we didn't have the clothes anyway. Just get in the water and die, please. I'm so ready for you to die. I can't wait to water baptize, man. I mean, I hold them under long, long. If you're really in faith, pastors, you'll hold them 40 seconds after the last vibration. <laughs> Seriously, there's a, late, there's a late convulsion. And if you wait 40 seconds, you got them. They're done. And then you bring them up. <gasps> but you better have faith. <gasps> and then there's new life. It's just awesome. You just, it's so good. So we're having a baptismal tomorrow. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But we got to their wedding day and there was nobody there born again. And I said, oh my goodness. So when I left their house, I'm, I'm hard on my dashboard. I don't know how the dashboard's in my truck. Don't get broke. Like Jesus does things in my life. And when I get in my truck, I always take it out of my truck. Like I'm driving, pounding my dashboard, Jesus. And I'm just beating my dashboard and pulling my steering wheel. I don't know how I haven't pulled it off the column. I remember one day he woke a man up out of a coma. He was dead inside. He, he said he couldn't hear. He couldn't nothing. The machines were keeping him alive. And his eye was gray. And you couldn't find his pupil. And I prayed over him and talked to him. And when I looked, his eye was brown staring right at me. And we got talking. It was the most dramatic spiritual. It was probably number one spiritual experience in my whole life. I held a conversation with the man. I could hear him talking to me in my heart. The whole conversation, 
His kids fell off the furniture onto the floor because they could tell I was talking to daddy because they knew how he talked when he was alive. And I said, no, you're not waiting too late. You're not just jumping ship at the last minute. It's not like that. You think it's that. And I could hear everything he was saying and the girls heard me say that and that was why daddy never got born again. He said, I can't hold, live my whole life and jump ship at the last minute. And when I said, your girls want you to get saved, why haven't you gotten saved? He said, I can't jump onto the God's ship and not be on it my whole life and then just jump on in the end. It just wouldn't be sincere. And when I started to reiterate and talk to him like we were talking out loud, I watched his family scream and fall off the furniture onto the floor because the fear of the Lord came in the room. When I left that room, there was a tear just one after the other pouring out of his eye. His other side, I was all taped and pasted shut and his mouth was all taped shut with feed tube and respirator. And he was just, <laughs> but he's looking right at me. He's 80 couple years old in a coma for two years on life support. And God left his daughters hug him tear after tear. Hi, daddy. It was unbelievable. You think, why didn't he just get up and be whole? I don't have all them answers. Stop thinking too much. It was the most glorious, craziest, amazing thing. Two weeks later, I got a phone call that he passed and all the girls were like, yay, daddy was born again. And I said, are you all okay? She said, we are more than okay. We watched daddy get saved. She hung up. I leaned back on my chair and I said, Lord, why did he, why did, why did he lay there two more weeks till he passed? I'm thinking he's going to get totally made whole or die in 20 minutes if he's born again. Why? why, why? He said, Dan, it was two weeks that I persuaded his heart that he could believe I loved him and forgave him and he was saved. Wow. Two weeks. And when he had the confidence that it was true, the will of man and the will to live and the fear of death let go and he came to be with me. Wow. <laughs> I left that house. I screamed like a madman for one mile down the road. Jesus! Beat it, beat it, my steering wheel and my, my dashboard. Jesus! People were probably driving by going, <laughs> freaking out. Well, I did it at this wedding. Jesus, beating my steering wheel, beating my dash. Why? Because when I got there, these guys are all drinking. Some of them are a little tipsy. They're like, hey, man, we got the coolers down there, anything you want. Now, you're a pastor, but you do drink, right? Like, you're not against drinking. I said, well, I, I don't drink, period. I, whether I'm a pastor or not, I've chose not to drink. Uh, why? Well, my dad was an alcoholic. It brought a lot of hell into our home and pain. And as a young man, I just vowed I'd never follow that example. And I didn't want to bring that into my home because he was a bona fide alcoholic and it, it hurt us as a family. So I just made a decision not to drink. It doesn't even have to do really with my Christianity. And they were like, whoa. So they're surrounding me. They're like, so what do you like? Just put yourself in a paper and they hire you for the weekend. So you like a rent a pastor. Did they rent you to do the wedding? <laughs> I said, no, no. Cause I said, I never receive a penny for weddings. I've never received a penny for a wedding. I don't, I don't charge a fee to marry people. It's a glorious thing. It's a union. It's a covenant. So do you have like a speech or are you going to say like, do you take her? Do you take him? And it's over and there's a party or do you have like a speech? I said, I think you guys, I'm just glad you're here. I think you ought to just hang out and make sure you tune in because it's going to be a fun, fun day. <laughs> when I got up there, guess what burned in my heart? James chapter three. And man, I preached it out. 
When I got up there under the tent, they were all smoking and drinking. I'm not against all that. I, that, I don't ever preach against drinking and smoking. I preach Christ-likeness. And people get convicted and they give things up that aren't edifying in their life. It's like the two old farmers, you know, they meet at the fence. Hey, Johnny, heard you got born again. Yeah, Billy, I got born again. Well, what's born again? Well, I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't run with the women. Well, then, Johnny, I guess my mule's a Christian. <laughs> See, a Christian isn't decided by what you do and don't do. It's decided by what you've become. And what you become decides your life. Yeah? I realized three minutes, five minutes into the wedding, everybody's captivated. There's not one cigarette lit. Everybody quenched their cigarettes, and I didn't tell them they shouldn't smoke. But holiness came under the tent. It's amazing how the presence of the Lord came, and people have a sheer instinct to think, don't need this right now, and don't need it. No, nobody picked up a sip of alcohol the whole ceremony. I noticed it. God made me see it. When I went in there, there was such a haze over the tent, but it wasn't Shekinah. It wasn't the glory of the Lord. It wasn't the glory cloud. It was Marlboro and Newport and Winston all combined. <laughs> and you could hardly see through it. By the time I was done, there wasn't one lit cigarette. There wasn't a drink in nobody's hand. It was just like this, and there was tears. When I pronounced a man and wife, and, and they, they, they kissed, and they, they went out through the reception thing, people flooded me. They're supposed to go, yay, they flooded me. That was amazing. What was happening in my heart? I never heard anything like that. Man, that got my attention. I'm ministering to the whole crowd. When I finally left, I'm leaving. They're all walking in a huddle as I'm heading to my car. <laughs> Don't hear this wrong. I felt like I was at a conference and everybody wanted to get to talk to me. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not being mean. I got to the little bridge. It's a little bridge. I crossed the bridge and it, it was like the munchkins on the Wizard of Oz. They're all at the bridge. See you. Bye. Bye. Follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> they were all doing this. And I said, bless you. Like, I got my car. I'm like, Jesus. What rocked the house? James chapter 3. Chew. This is right on time. I had till 3.30, didn't I? Okay, good. <laughs> Who is? We're finally reading it. Isn't this amazing? Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's awesome? It still reads the same. If I'd have read it at 1.30, it would be the same. It hasn't changed. Guess what? Tomorrow, it's going to say the same. No matter what you're going through and how you feel, when you open this book, it's the same. Please don't let what you're going through decide you. Let this book settle you now. So that no matter what you're going through, you respond in him. Oh, and let your light so shine before man. Yeah? Light is greater than darkness. Yeah? What a great illustration. You know what I've said my whole life? He used that illustration about the darkness and getting permission. I've just said nobody's ever walked into a dark room. <laughs> 
or a super bright room and said, hey, could somebody turn up the darkness? Who knows these lights are really bright? You don't turn up the darkness. Watch. If the room gets dimmer, somebody turned down the light. It's never about darkness. It's about the light that's in you. Isaiah, he nailed it. He said, arise, shine, church. Your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the light is on you. New covenant, New Testament. Let your light so shine. Yeah, but it's dark, brother. Let your light so shine. Yeah, but you don't know how dark my workplace is. Let your light so shine. It's never about the darkness. It's always about the light, because light is greater than darkness. So if the world's dark, it's the absence of light. But yet we have millions of churches. Arise, shine, church. Your light has come. If you're a Christian for a better day, you might be confused and there's no light shining. If you're a Christian for your sake, you might be missing it. And all of a sudden, there's no light shining. But if you're a Christian for his great namesake and seeking first the kingdom, the light is lit and somebody's seeing it. That's just so solid. It's ridiculous. You're supposed to say good, preacher. Thanks, man. Okay. I got this so time perfect, I'm having fun with it now. Who is wise? Verse 13. Isn't this the best scripture for a wedding? Who is wise and understanding among you? Who really knows what they're talking about? Don't let them prove it by the degrees and the plaques that hang upon their wall. Let them prove by the good conduct of their life that their works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now he's going to show us what wisdom is and what wisdom isn't. Watch. That his works are done in the what? In the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart. So when is self-seeking ever permissible? When is it ever allowed to be a motive? Ever. Guess what love does? Love doesn't seek its own, therefore it takes no account of the wrong done to it. Then why are we busted up by each other? Because we haven't become love. We're still moved by need. And we still have unspoken expectations on each other. And we have lines that can be crossed and chips that can be knocked off. And we say, I love you, but we're moved by each other. So we prove we really don't understand love. Because love takes no account of the wrong done to it then why do we have it remembered like it was yesterday? I've never understood how we deny ourselves and have so many rights. When you deny yourself, you give up yourself and you obtain one right to be like him. Why? Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. He's the only chance of seeing God. And you're on the earth for his image, so might as well let his image come in you so it can shine through you. And the way that seemeth right to a man can get crushed because you're renewed in the spirit of your mind because you've been transformed. See how scriptural this is? There's just no way around it. 
You would have to listen to this and simply say, I don't want it. Because you can't say you can't hear it. It's too clear. There's no way you can say what? A man would have to say, I just don't want it. And I've sadly learned that a lot of people don't want to become love. They want to hold on to what they were born into and claim born again. They want to hold on to their rights and claim rights. They want him and them. And it doesn't work that way. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your heart, don't boast and lie against the truth. In other words, deal with your heart. Call it what it is. Get alone with God. Put it off. Surrender it. Come against it. Declare truth over your life. Don't just move along and say, oh, well, everybody has their moments. Hey, it's in everybody. Hey, it's normal. Hey, we all. Stop. Don't. The Bible doesn't say to do that. It says stop boasting and lying against the truth. Which means the truth is selflessness. True wisdom. Watch this. So he calls this wisdom. Watch. This wisdom. What wisdom? Envy and self-seeking. This wisdom. It's a form of wisdom. This wisdom does not descend or come from above. Watch. It's earthly, sensual, and demonic. So now we just learned that self-centeredness came from the fall of man. That love was perverted into selfishness and self-centeredness and every man was born into the lie. Jesus came to become the lie so we could get back to the truth. So a Christian is a man that becomes love, not writes up signs up for heaven. <laughs> Christianity is not a man just getting his name in a book called life. Christianity is a man's nature restored back to the beginning and becoming love. If we miss becoming love, we miss the whole point of why he shed his blood. We're the glory of his inheritance. One son for many sons. Each seed after his own kind. It's the hope of his calling, the glory of exceeding greatness of his power. Yeah? yeah. This wisdom, it's earthly, sensual, demonic. Watch this. For where envy and self-seeking exist, where selfishness is the motive, certain confusion... And every evil thing is landed there. Watch this. You go into your bedroom theologically with principles from your Bible. Be mad at your spouse to no end. You could pray and sound like you're praying right scripturally from the self-centered place of just being hurt and offended and I've had enough. And then you start binding and rebuking the devil and you ain't having my home because you heard a preacher tell you how to take authority with your words, but yet your motive in your heart is way far from your words. Wow, and all of a sudden you're praying for yourself because you've had enough, can't take no more, you need to change them or I'm out of here, God, and they just, and you let, and I don't know why, devil, I bind you and break it. And you don't even realize your motive is the very landing strip and the reason he's working so prevalent. Because where selfishness exists, every evil work is present. You're rebuking him and you're the actual invite. That's why when things don't change, you get worse. That's why you get focused on the problem and stop shining in the light. And your whole world becomes your marriage and your struggle and your relationship. And now it's your saga and Jesus lives in you the whole time. I've watched it a lot as a pastor. 
And I pastor it intensely and vehemently and try to get those lies out of people quick. Yeah? And I've seen a lot of good things and a lot of restoration over the years because I ain't playing with this thing. I'll go right after it. And you'll tell me what he or she did and I'll ask you why you're responding that way. Why are you letting where they're not decide where you are? Why are you letting them be Lord of your life right now? Why are you revealing you're so needy? I think it's time to repent. Why don't you wake up to love instead of be loved? You'll find life is a whole lot better. Yeah? Come on, if Jesus woke up to be loved, he's probably in trouble. But since he never slumbers and he remains love, I guess he's okay. <laughs> Yay. Come on. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them prove by the good conduct of their life that their works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you bitter envy or self-seeking in your heart, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not come from above. It's earthly, sensual, demonic, where there's envy and self-seeking existing, confusion, and every evil thing is present. But, though, so here's the answer, but the wisdom that is from above, now we're talking wisdom. It's first What? What's the pure in heart do? The pure in heart shall... Whoa. See, a pure motive goes straight to the throne, right into the bowls of incense. And the voice is before the throne of prayer. The pure in heart. Look at this. Hmm. This wisdom above, it's first pure. Guess what else it is? Peaceable. See, it's not contentious. It's not issue-driven. It's not he said, she said, well, I feel, well, you shouldn't, well, you can't tell me that wouldn't hurt you. Well, how would you feel if they? See, it takes two to tango, one to pursue peace. The wisdom that's from above is peaceable, not contentious. You know how we say things with a little bite on the end, get the last word, a little sting in something we say? You know how we say stuff sarcastically and didn't really mean what we say? There's a hidden message in it. That's not this. <laughs> That's the first paragraph. Why? Because you're taking their life personal and you're offended. Paul said, why do schisms and fights dwell among you? Why is those things in your lives? Because you're carnal. And you're living like mere men that don't know the gospel. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Do you know it's in there? Discourages. Just, just animosity in your home. Just arguments. Just going to bed, ticked off, quiet, turn out the light, nobody talks. You just drift off to sleep after an hour of a spinning mind. Wow. Oh, I know. I've lived there for 13 years before I knew Jesus in my marriage. Just unresolved conflicts. The next thing you know, you think you fell out of love. No, that's Hollywood. That's deception. Next thing you know, you're on the internet. Somebody says something you need to hear because you ain't hearing it. No, that's called out of fellowship with God. Now you're really deceived. Now you're looking to men to find yourself or women instead of the truth. Somehow we call it love. Why? Sensual. Because we've lived by our emotions and we're feeding our feelings. <laughs> Boy, it's covering it. Come on. It's gentle. The wisdom from above, pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, whoa, full of mercy. Boy, that would end some counseling appointments. Good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. 
You're not expecting something you're not willing to become. Well, you want to be forgiven of everything you've ever done and don't want to become forgiveness? It doesn't work that way. It's the reason you're forgiven of everything you've ever done. So you're so overwhelmed by forgiveness, you become it. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace, not contention, by those who make peace, not have issues. You see how distinct the two wisdoms are? Make sure you live in that wisdom. Did you just see scripturally that self-centeredness is never, ever permissible? Hebrews 12, 3 says this. Consider him, him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, least you be weary and discouraged in your souls. How many services do we have and have altar calls for the weary and discouraged rather than teach them why they never have to be? Constantly praying for the broken heart instead of teaching them why they don't have to be broken. And then we call that ministry and a move of God, but we're not given a perspective to live free. So who knows they'll be back. So now we limp along and we use God to help us through the day. You can't continue that way. You won't run well. You'll grow weary in well-doing. Your heart will get tired. You won't run till the end. You'll become how you feel and you'll become what you're going through instead of who he is and what he went through. Are you all with me? I'm finally done. I actually, wow, I bought five extra minutes for free. Listen, I want to pray over you guys, okay? Yeah, no, yeah, that's just awesome. Listen, I want to pray. I keep forgetting you guys are up there. Hey, (laughs) heavenly places again. When I pray, I'm praying for you guys too, all right? Yeah. Man, I don't know. You're up there so high, I might just go right to you. You guys might have to get up there to catch this. I want to pray over you. There's a power in praying over people and having a humble heart and being repentant. Amen? There's an impartation of grace through truth. I believe, I honestly believe the, the greatest impartation on my life isn't me laying hands on you and and blessing you, and people saying, I want what you got. It's, it's the ministry of truth. It's what makes you free. People say, lay hands on me. I want what you got. I can't give you my relationship. I can't give you my history with God. But I can sure tell you why I live this way and invite you in to believe with me. We can all live as believers. Do you know every promise is to the believer? So if you were the enemy, wouldn't you try to scramble what we believe? Get us to fight over what we believe? Separate over what we believe? Build churches over the difference of what we believe? If what you believe isn't producing love, I'd ask you to reevaluate. If what you believe is giving you permission to be anything less than what you see in him, I'd ask you to reconsider. You do not need a right to be less than what he created you to be. You don't need a justification for not being where he paid for. Are you with me? Can I pray for you? I'm with you. Some of you, I want to ask you to, from your heart, because you're convicted. I can feel it, some of you, just some of you, in your marriages and in your relationships. It's time to pursue love and throw away the indifference and stop asking people to make up for what they can't redo. It's time to release people. It's time to put on his eyes and wear his heart. It's time to pursue peace in your homes and your marriages. It's time to love one another.
And you say, well, you don't know what it's like living with my spouse. Well, if God said that about you, it might be trouble. But you're not a challenge to him. He loves you. And he'll pursue you. And where sin abounds, grace comes even greater. Why don't you live that way in your home? And stop feeling sorry for yourself and making it about you. Please. Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in this room. I thank you for true conviction. And I thank you for a sweet move of your spirit in our hearts. Yep, this is attainable, people. You can live this way. Don't sell out thinking it's impossible and nobody can live this way. There's so much scripture that calls you to this, that grace make the difference. You believe it, grace will empower you. You just be willing to lay down your life right now. You be willing to love not your own life unto death. You be willing to pursue peace, to live pure, to be gentle, full of mercy and willing to yield. You be those things in your heart and in your willingness and let grace start forming those things in your life. Father, I thank you for the restoration of every person's family, home, relationships. I thank you that lights are turned on today. I thank you that a life of power and love is pursued by a healthy foundation of walking in love, of knowing who you are in us and knowing who we are in you. And I pray that today truly would make a difference compiled on everything we've heard. Now the mouths of two or more, everything established. I ask that today would just be a, a, a push over the hump, if you will, moment to say I am forever convicted and I am going to walk in the knowledge of you. Lord God, I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit that you bring these things to our remembrance. You keep us on a straight and narrow and you help us to run this thing and run it well. I bless every home, every marriage, every relationship represented here. But most of all, I pray and bless every individual heart that listened to this message and ask your conviction stay within the heart of each one. Keep our eyes off of everything else and keep our eyes solely on who you are in us. And let us all run well to the end. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Love you. If you enjoyed this message, please visit danmullerarchive.com to find over 2,500 more messages from Dan, all organized by category, playlist, and search. Enjoy.